Welcome back to the Commonwealth Classical Liberal Podcast here in this Virginia Elections Week. We're glad to have you with us for this podcast, which, like the Classical Liberal Party of Virginia or the CLPBA, is a home for those who believe in open markets, open minds, and free people. Thanks for being part of our community and for subscribing and sharing this podcast with others. We really appreciate it. So welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, Brian. Welcome, Chris. It is November 2023. It's Virginia Election Week. I'm Andy, and I'm joined here by current father, Brian Doss, and father-to-be, Chris Frazier. If you missed our last podcast, you can go back and, and hear more about that. Gentlemen, hello. Welcome to November. Welcome to Election Week. What's going on? Uh, not much. I'm just, uh, you, know, I'm, you know, excited to see what happens and also excited that the uh, that uh, tomorrow all of the election commercials leave and we're back to having the uh, ambulance chasers in the morning. Uh, my, my usual comfort uh, comfort commercials. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a very large mailbox and it is overwhelmed by the amount of, of propaganda that I have received these last two months. It is unbelievable. So I look forward to that faucet being turned off. Chris, what's going on? How are you? Uh, good. Yeah, it's the uh, same thing you guys mentioned. I actually had to take all the junk that I had in my mail and put it in my kitchen floor and take a picture for safekeeping. It just felt like a, a moment in history that I needed to document. I actually counted in one day's mail. I had 14 pieces nice. of political advertising, which, as I say it, I, I realize it probably isn't a whole lot. I'm sure there's people out there getting more. Um, but I guess I'm registered to vote in a rather hotly contested uh, Senate, state Senate uh, election. So. Well, if you, if you want to share that picture, Brian and Chris, we'll be glad to show it in the uh, the podcast summary. We'll, we'll throw up on Medium later. So feel free. Feel free to share it. Or I'll gladly maybe grab the junk out of my box today and, and share all the always positive election material that comes out. But hey, guys, let's let's dive into things. It's, it's election week. It's election season tomorrow. For those that are you know listening on Tuesday, Tuesday is election day. And we're going to talk about a very important topic when it comes to the idea of elections. So last week, we started talking party platform and kick things off with the topic of electoral reform and dug into the idea of ballot access, which I think is a tremendous issue. I'm glad we started with that. Today, we're going to continue that discussion on electoral reform and explore the idea of ranked choice voting, or RCV. As I said last week, let me read this platform statement off, and then we'll jump right into things. So from the platform, again, link in the show notes, the people of Virginia deserve a better system of choosing their representatives. And we need to break the cycle of fearing that a choice outside of the old establishment parties will enable the greater evil to win. The Commonwealth needs more choices and more voices in the legislature, speaking for all of Virginia's points of view. Therefore, we call for the institution of ranked choice voting for all races with a single winner, the removal of restrictions on ballot access for new parties and independents, and the institution of top-up proportionality in the House of Delegates. There's a little more wording in there. I'm not going to read all of that off. I'm going to focus on that first bullet statement, the institution of ranked choice voting for all races with a single winner. So if any listeners missed the previous episode, we spent time on ballot access then. We can go back and listen to that, take a listen. But today we're going to focus on RCV. So for starters, gentlemen, let's, let's do an RCV 101. Brian, you want to start things off? What in the world is ranked choice voting? Uh, sure. Ranked choice voting uh, is basically... Um, what you might have heard of is instant uh, runoff voting, uh, but it's uh, it's a system where on the ballot you have all of the the choices and then you rank them. Uh, here's my first choice, second choice, third choice, you know, on and on and on. Um, and what it is is that uh, if it if on the first round, all the first round, everyone's first round you know, choices are tallied, 
And if someone has the 50%, uh, then it's exactly like a regular election. It's like, boom, you got, you got a majority. Uh, he or she got a majority, they win. Uh, if the top, uh, top uh, on the first ballot, nobody gets a majority, that's when they drop the, the lowest you know, vote getter of the first round, and then they open up all of those votes as second choices, and then reallocate those votes according to the second choice. Uh, so that's the second round. Uh, so then after those are reallocated, is there somebody with a majority? If not, the next lowest person uh, is eliminated. Those people look for their, their second choices. Uh, <clears throat> and, if they, and if the thing that was eliminated was other people's second choices, we move on to their third choices, et cetera. And then you iterate that until you basically get down to the, uh, whatever round it takes to get to a majority uh, by looking at it. And some, some ballots may be spent. That's, you know, that's fine. It's like, you know, depending on how long they were. Uh, but uh, that's the basic gist of it. It's that if you vote for somebody who's not the, you know, you know, not in the top two or, or et cetera, you don't have to worry about your vote just disappearing in the ether and, and not counting. Basically, get a second shot at the apple, uh, so to speak, uh, so that you're you can go and vote your conscience on the first you know, first ballot, knowing that if you don't win, you haven't you know, caused you know the greater because your second choice, you can go to, all right, well, I, here's my first guy, but I really don't want that other guy. I want the other guy, you know, his opponent, his or her opponent, uh, in case my preferred candidate, you know, she doesn't win. Uh, so then you'll go to your second or third. So that's it in a nutshell. Uh, and what it is is to make sure that there's kind of an instant runoff voting so that you don't have to spend, you know, the extra money and efforts to set up another election like two weeks to a month later uh, between the top two vote-getters to, to make a decision, uh, you find out right away. Uh, so you get uh, the increased expressivity in your voting of the people's preferences, uh, and you kind of encourage moder more moderate candidates, somebody who's going to appeal to uh, you know, a broader... Rather, so it, it doesn't reward extremism because... You you be able to pick up be someone's second choice, uh, you know among the among the three. So you're you got to be wary about how many bombs you're going to throw, because you could uh, run into a, a high ceiling. So you may win on the first ballot, but then you're nobody's second choice, and eventually that guy loses. Uh, so that's actually kind of a feature of RCV is you can get a more consensus candidate versus somebody who has uh, an intense but minority uh, you know, level of support. Uh, which may win under plurality system if you split the vote, quote unquote, but will fail under you know, RCV uh, when you can tally up people's second choices. Yep, thanks, Brian. That, that's it's a great overview and it explains it well. And Chris, you want to add something to that explanation of what RCV is? Uh, I think Brian covered the basics pretty well, um, but I'd just like to highlight, uh, at least for me, two of I think the biggest benefits to RCV. Brian touched on this a little bit, but it does open up that opportunity for people to vote. I guess you could say vote their conscience, right? A lot of people out there who might want to vote for, you know, one candidate and in a lot of cases, this would be something like an independent or third party candidate, but they say, you know what, this person has, as we've all heard before, this person really has no shot at winning. Right. And I've always said, take everyone who says that about a candidate, this candidate has no, 
I'd, I'd like to vote for this candidate, but realistically, they have no shot of winning. If we took all of those people and all of those people actually voted for that person, they, they might have a shot at winning. Um, but we can kind of get around this whole debate by instituting ranked choice voting and allowing people to vote their conscience, as Brian mentioned, without the fear of playing the spoiler and you're know, ruining the election and, and what we have now in the first past and post system, you know, you, you've got someone that you really, really don't want to win. You know, in my case, Donald Trump is running for president, right? I don't want this guy to win. You know, I might be considering, am I going to vote for someone who's not my number one preferred candidate, but is significantly better than what I consider the worst evil in Donald Trump? You know, that consideration has changed dramatically in a ranked choice voting system. So you get this system by which we can actually have people voting for for a candidate. So we can actually say that we can say someone's voting for a candidate less. So now what we have where people are voting against the candidate in a lot of situations. Um, so I think obviously that's sort of the you know, right away. That's one of the most popular features of uh, ranked choice voting. Um, but I think there's one other thing that. A lot of people might overlook and it's i think ranked choice voting kind of has a moderating effect in a couple of ways so because you are no longer appealing to just one one base of you know the republican base or the democrat base or whatnot you're sort of campaigning uh, more broadly because not only are you campaigning for those number one choices you're also campaigning to have people mark you down as their second choice right because we're looking at a system where someone's dropping off, you want those votes. Um, so it kind of changes the, the dynamic in the, the campaign. Um, but it also has a moderating effect in the sense that it, it allows people to sort of coalesce around the candidate that the majority finds the most palatable, right? So, okay, the far left candidate didn't win, but who do, who do they consider the most palatable, right? It's, it's probably gonna be someone in the middle, right? Maybe someone on the left doesn't get the necessary economic policies that they want, but they get someone who is socially a bit more moderate. Um, same thing for you know the right. So it, it has those benefits, and, and I think those are sort of the, my two favorite uh, benefits of ranked choice voting. Anyway. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's yeah, great. and I'll and I'll jump into oh yeah, I just wanted to jump in on there about the, uh, the about moderating effect is that the the the, the real benefit you know, the, the highest level benefit. Um, uh, in terms of uh, like society-wide for RCV is it mandates a majority winner. So there is, so you, there's, you know, even if there's three, four, five candidates in there, you don't have to worry about the, uh, the election going to somebody who only appealed to 33% uh, or 44 or 48 you know, and the 52% you know, voted against them. You know, the, that 52% is going to generally prevail over the person who has, you know, intense but minority support. Uh, and so when you, when you've got, when you know that the majority winner, you know, majority vote getter is the winner, is the consensus candidate, I think that puts uh, a bit more um, uh, trust into the system. So you say, oh, well, the system is working because it's more, it's a more consensus candidate because that person is a combined of our first, second, and third choices uh, is clearly better than the other one. Everybody kind of feels like, all right, this is legitimate outcome than somebody who just won. Oh, well, he had 48, and, and the other two split the vote. So now he wins 48 to 25 to, you know, to 27, and the person with 48 wins. And everyone's like, no, 52 per the majority of the people that voted did not want this candidate, but they get it anyway with single, uh, single member first pass the post. 
Yeah, it really takes away some of that fear-based voting and allows allows America to select the most acceptable candidate, right? And sort of, sort of like what we see in theoretically in, in legislation, right? Even though we have a, a Congress today that is very um, divided and, and refusing of compromise, that's kind of the idea of the republic, right? That we can find compromises and agreements that are acceptable, if not ideal, for the most people. And I think that's kind of the idea behind RCV is we can find the most acceptable candidate, even if she or he isn't the number one choice of you know, a certain group of the population. So it's an exciting idea to let people choose their their preferred candidates. And to me, you know, I, I think it's kind of fun to be able to put a you know, thumb in the eye of the extremist candidates. And you know, I'd love to see, uh, you know, the, the, the extreme party candidates that we, we often see, you know, ranked fourth or fifth in a poll, even if they get 20% of the popular vote with, with their uh, loyalists. But hey, let, so RCV is it's a very interesting idea. It's, it's supported by a lot of different groups and organizations, a lot of advocates around the country. Sounds great. Theoretically, I can vote my conscience. We can have a consensus candidate. Sounds great. Is it actually being implemented anywhere? Or is this just theoretical at this point? Oh, no, it's, it's definitely real. It's, uh, and if you have been paying, if you paid attention to any of the uh, thing, uh, elections in the past, uh, like uh, past two years, uh, the biggest one being the special election in Alaska for uh, uh, a new representative, Alaska uses RCV uh, and they have a uh, you know, a top four uh, open primary, and then they advance the other four with ranked choice voting. So you get the top four, you know, from straight voting, and you have RCV on the bottom four. And uh, that showed the the consensus candidate won out over the extreme candidate, you know, which is Sarah Palin. Uh, Sarah Palin lost because even though she had, like, she would have won under a uh, uh, first-past-the-post system, but this is this is an, an exact example of what we were saying before. She's nobody's second choice, including the other Republican on the uh, on the team. So when the other Republican was was out, everybody you know, moved into uh, the Democrat because she was moderate and you know everybody's second choice. She appealed to more of the moderate Republicans out there than Sarah Palin's bomb throwing style, you know, telling everybody they were Republicans in name only and maga maga maga. Um, so RCV worked really well in that case, but. It's not just Alaska, it's Maine. Uh, the state of Maine also does has RCV for official. There's, it's a, a number of state cities, you know, you know, cities within the states and counties uh, for their mayoral races, uh, for, uh, you know, city council races, et cetera, uh, have RCV now in place. And they've been doing it for uh, for years. Uh, in fact, it's went to Colorado, it's been going on for uh, uh, yeah, well, well, yeah. I mean, there, a lot of them have been adapted since 2020, but some of them have been on the books for you know a lot longer. Um, this is real. It's it's working. It's you know existing in the United States, uh, which isn't to say, of course, that RCV or something very similar to it is also used internationally. Uh, with Australia's uh, single transferable vote, um, Ireland also has single transferable vote, uh, which is you know, you know kind of quasi. Uh, RCV, but there's other places in the world that use, you know, direct rank vote. Uh, so this is a very much a real, uh, real world system that's being used today. It's not just theoretical. It's not hypothetical. Uh, it's something that we can do today and is being used today. Yeah, n- nice to see the last frontier, Alaska, being one of the first to adopt uh, rank choice voting in the country. And I, I just know before I come over, back over to you, Chris, I want to note that in 2020, the Virginia General Assembly did pass HB 1103, which gives cities and counties the adoption to, I'm sorry, the option to adopt ranked choice voting 
for local elections. So uh, while it's only been approved for Arlington at this point, here in the Commonwealth, we are allowed to use RCV around the state. And I think that's pretty, pretty exciting to see. Chris, any thoughts on, on where RCV is being used or how it's been used so far? Yeah, so last week, I think, you know, we talked about how both political parties like to pander to voters when it comes to, um, you know, the, the right to vote and, and having open elections and secure elections and everything. But then they oppose any attempts to actually open those elections up to new candidates um, in the same way, you know, the political parties currently have no issue using ranked choice voting when it comes to selecting their candidates internally. Um, the Republican Party regularly uses ranked choice voting in its conventions, choosing its nominees. Um, I know the Libertarian Party, of course, uh, uses ranked choice voting as well. Democrats tend to prefer open primaries, um, so I, I don't know what, to what extent they use RCV. Um, but then when it comes to pitting their candidate against someone else, they don't want ranked choice voting because they fear that that, again, may actually open up the election to independents or third party candidates. And it actually may have a moderating effect on the, the outcome and, and they won't get their, you know, the candidate that has their hardcore base support. Um, so once again, we see a situation where, you know, both parties are sort of saying one thing and, and doing quite the other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they seem to have no problem selecting their candidates uh, via that method. And, and I think that it works perfectly well uh, in that regard. So why not implement it in the general election as well? Yeah, and, and just not directly related to this, but just underscoring how broken this current system is. Not only do the major parties, you know, suggest they want moderation and then um, in some cases use RCV internally, but not in, in the open elections. At the same time, we see the same parties funding extremist candidates from the other side purposely to create that division, you know, in, in the electorate and, and have an opportunity to run, you know, campaigns where they want against a, you know, a binary choice between extremists on the left or extremists on the right. And it just shows how sort of broken this current system is and this moderating effect, opening up the election to, to a more broad, acceptable group of candidates could really change not only the tone, but also the candidates themselves and the legislation that gets approved or not approved. Um, it's, it's really an exciting opportunity. But listen, while, while, while the three of us like RCV, while we see momentum forward in different areas around the country, it sounds good, like a lot of things sound good. Are there reasons to be skeptical about RCV? Are there reasons we should be paused maybe and consider, is this really something we want to do? It sounds like a big change. Any thoughts on that, guys? Uh, sure. Uh... RCV comes with, uh, you know, uh, some issues. It's not, and one, it's obviously way more complex than simply putting one check behind a person and then you're done. Uh, so you've already got that level of uh, education that you need to put into, uh, you know, the people. And there's the problem of, uh, you know, not ranking enough. So it's an under, you know, an undervote, which is fine, or, you know, uh, an overvote if there's like a limitation. Uh, there's, there's ways to do that, but, uh, more fundamentally, uh, remember what I was saying about how, like, the lowest candidate people, when they're eliminated, their second choices are uh, are expressed. Uh, note that if your candidate was running first the entire way, you never get to see their second uh, uh, choice or the second person. So that you know, if you voted for the top two candidates, your second, you know, your second or third and fourth, you know, preferences, et cetera, they don't get registered. Um, so that's that's kind of a, an, an issue. It's that the, only the people who are willing to step out of the 
uh, like the top two, get to get to kind of express themselves in terms of their second choice, third choice, et cetera. So that's an issue. Um, another issue is that RCV is difficult to um, to calculate at the, a local precinct level. So your precinct can go and vote because right now it's just it's straight up adding. It's like how many votes does this guy get? How many votes does this guy get? There you go, and you can report that. Uh, so it's uh, in a sense it's transparent because uh, in Virginia the, all the precincts post their um, uh, their vote totals. Uh, it's it's transparent, so you can go and sum it up. So if you're worried like oh, I don't think they're adding them correctly, well you could add them yourself. Now with RCV, you don't know what every you've got the first you may have the first round tally. You don't know everybody's second uh, round tally. So and it has to go all of them have to go to one central place and then be opened up at once before you can start getting into people's second and third, et cetera. So in that sense, uh, it can take longer, especially the more voters you put it and the more options you have. So these are things to consider. Um, it, the thing is, is though, well, you know, I just want to caveat that uh, with the issues that I just pointed out. Let's not forget how bad single, uh, single winner first past the post is. It's like almost literally the worst possible way other than like a coin flip uh, to, to elect a, a candidate. So basically anything that gives us the ability to widen and you know, get a greater expression, get a greater idea of what the electorate thinks is better. Uh, so there are op other options to RCE is the, is the most well-known. That's why we push for that because it's easier to, you know, to kind of jump on the fair vote uh, bandwagon who's done like excellent work over 20 years pushing for RCV. Yeah, I mean, RCV would be an absolute improvement over things, but it, yeah, it, is, it isn't without its issues. Yeah, I don't know if there's any perfect system, but, but right, there's, there's different options. This is a popular one, and it's really an improvement. But Chris, any, any other thoughts on your end as far as skepticism or concerns about potentially implementing RCV? Yeah, the complexity is obviously the big one. Uh, it, educating the voters about how RCV works because it, it can be a little bit difficult to, to get across to some people sometimes. Um, and it follows from that that the initial implementation, at least, would be expensive because you have to have the infrastructure available to you. Brian touched on that a little bit and the difficulties there. Um, and then the education, you know, camp, you'd have this whole education campaign about explaining what it is, how to correctly vote your your preferences uh, without messing up that ballot. I think a lot of people could could easily mess that up. Um, so those are obviously the big things there. And yeah, of course, it's not a perfect system, um, but you know, it's I think definitively better than what we have. There's some criticisms that the candidate with the most votes overall in the first round could lose. And, and absolutely that's possible. And in fact, that's sort of by design, yeah. you know, if that candidate gets less than a majority of the votes, uh, you know, they're designed to lose. The objective is to get someone a, a majority, you know, 50 plus 1%, um, you know, 50% plus one. Um, and, and, you know, that could result in a candidate who gets 49.5% of the vote in the first round going on to lose the vote. Uh, but again, that is by design. Um, but yeah, I, I think the complexity of it and the education and the initial outlay of funds in order to, to you know, get the citizenry educated and get the infrastructure there would, 
would be a big move, but it would be an investment. It would be sort of a, a consider it sort of a one-time investment in improving the elections. Yeah, I think those are great points. And just, just with one, we'll include some links to RCV resources so that you can dive in deeper to this if you want to get more information. Uh, just some others that are out there. There's approval voting. There's uh, star voting. There are other ideas out there as well. But as gentlemen said, RCV is probably the most well-known, most used outside of the current voting system. And, you know, for, for all the negatives you both brought up, in a way, I almost hear each one of them as a positive on its own, right? The, the idea that we have to invest in educating the electorate on how our elections are going to work, like, there's probably goodness in that. You know, the fact that it might slow down the election process and the media might not have as exciting a story at 11.30 p.m., you know, on election night. Like, there's probably goodness in that. The fact there's going to be some hysterical extremist candidates that initially looked like the lead and then ended up losing because of their extremist positions. There's goodness in that. You know I mean, so there's, there's a lot of sort of benefits when you sort of really think about, okay, this might be challenging. These might be positive over, overall you know, even if they're a little difficult in implementation. So a, a lot to consider, some really good points. So candidly speaking, right? I mean, we, we've talked before, I'm going to bring this back up here in just a moment. In 2024, it's possible that some areas around the country, if not all 50 states and, and territories, might see three, four, even five candidates on the presidential ballot. If we actually had RCV in place for the 2024 election, and we won't, we won't for the national election, but if we did, do you really think it would encourage the likelihood of independent or third-party candidates having a real shot at, at, at taking office, whether it be the White House or, or other national and statewide elections, does it really give those third and other voices a viable chance to get elected? Well, I'll I'll be blunt in that the the chances of uh, you know out of the gate, you know that uh, oh if we had it if we had it you know boom it was just in, instantly implicated, you know all the states you know did it for their federal elections et cetera. Um, I don't see that much of a change uh, to the to the status quo. Some of one of the two parties may switch because uh, they were relying on the uh, on the plurality, but uh, I think ultimately it you know nothing's got not much is going to change at first. You know, like some swaps uh, here and there. The biggest thing is getting people out of the fear based mindset. So if we go. Uh, if you go in there and, and, and we're able to, like, uh, you have it out there, and you know that your third-party vote isn't going to make the person you, you fear you know, necessarily, it's not going to hurt the person, the se your second person, not going to hurt more like Because there's a lot of people that, like, in 2016, uh, with Gary Johnson was the you know, highest polling candidate. At one point, he was averaging around 8 to 12%. Um, but in the end, he only got three which is an amazing number for an independent. Uh, but if people were able to vote, you know, without fear, you know, how, how would he have gotten that 8%? Would he have gotten the 12? Would he have gotten more? Um, you know, because even if, because if like in 2016, if we had uh, RCV, several states would have flipped because Johnson covered the, uh, um, the, the, the margin, margin of error. Uh, now, internally, there's a lot of, you know, people that don't have, a lot of, you know, people who voted for Johnson that were only going to vote for Johnson, but some of them had, uh, like, one or the other. And uh, depending on how that, you know, that worked, uh, that split went, uh, it could have thrown it one way or the other. So, like, oh, this could have been the blue state could have flipped red. They could have flipped, you know, depending on what the second, you know, you know choices were. And I think that's interesting. I think that's, that would be, there's a lot of good information there. Uh, when you look at, you know, you can compare first 
first ballot to second ballot. Uh, like if there's not enough, if, there, if there's not a majority, first ballot to second ballot, there's information that's important there because the people, uh, the third party voters, can then you know you you get this one you get the sense that all right the people are rejecting the binary and the first ballot, and then you get to see who did a better job at convincing the people who didn't want to vote for them first. I think that has value. Uh, yeah, but absolutely. yeah, as far as tech, as far as tectonic change, no. Yes, yeah, so it's an interesting point. That even if it doesn't lead to the election of third or other choices, it might you know significantly change the final decision. Uh, that's an interesting consideration there. Chris, any thoughts on your end? Do you think this would be a game changer? Do you think it would open up more independent voices? Any thoughts? Yeah, I actually kind of take a contrary view to Brian in this case. I do think that it would have a pretty significant impact. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it is going to be a huge benefit uh, right out of the gate, as Brian said, for independent and third-party candidates. I do think that it would be. Uh, but take the 2016 presidential election as an example, and you look at who was running, and you look at sort of the most popular minor candidates uh, that we had, and where would their votes have gone if we had ranked choice voting? And I think a, a considerable number of Gary Johnson voters, for example, and I speak for myself, you know, if I'm working in a ranked choice voting system, um, I kind of feel gross saying this, but my my next choice, uh, or at least somewhere down the line, probably would have been Hillary Clinton, uh, who of course lost the election. Um, so you have to consider that uh, you had in the, so looking at who came in next, so we had Gary Johnson obviously coming in a distant third, but Jill Stein, obviously, uh, you know, I don't think anyone's marking Donald Trump as their second choice on a ballot that has Jill Stein as, as first choice. I think the same thing would be true of, uh, you know, McMullen. I, you know, we can go down and we're starting to deal with really some mostly insignificant numbers, but, you know, you start looking at smaller local races. I think that it could have a considerable impact in the ultimate outcome. Now, again, we're not talking about independent and third party candidates sun suddenly winning elections. Um, but, you know, with ranked choice voting, you are going to have some of those candidates float up in the results a little bit more than they are now. And so I think that gets their name out there. We talk about third parties, third parties uh, get more recognition and that could ultimately get the ball rolling down the road. And we could see a gradual change again to, to Brian's point, we're not going to see a seismic change overnight. Um, but I think that we could see some fairly considerable changes in the, in the outcome, uh, at least in the short term between the two major parties uh, as a result of how people rank their choices. Yeah, so some really interesting thoughts there, Chris. And if you think back a little bit further, even to the twenty, the two thousand election, right, where it came down to Florida and a very close election in Florida that ended up going to the Supreme Court, and, and President Bush won the election. But had had those Ralph Nader voters in Florida perhaps voted, uh, I would imagine a lot of them would have voted for Al Gore as their second choice. That may have, you know, tipped the scales towards uh, the former vice president. We don't know that today, but it's really interesting to think about the possibilities when voters are free to vote there their choice, not, not out of fear, and then identify this is my second, this is my third choice, and so forth down the line. So some really interesting ideas and considerations here, guys. There's a lot to think about. Before we sort of wrap things up, I was going to share to the end uh, with, with sort of my closing comments, but I'll, I'll, I'll just go ahead and mention it now. I think it's worth considering in light of what we're talking about. Last week, uh, Quinnipiac released their 2024 survey update. In that one, uh, matching the two lead candidates, Trump and, and uh, Biden, against each other, uh, President Biden leads Donald Trump by one percentage vote, uh, vote right now. But adding in first, uh, Robert F. Kennedy, 
that dynamic changes things a little bit, where if, if you add Kennedy in, Biden gets 39%, Trump gets 36%, and Kennedy gets a pr pretty surprising 22% of the vote. Again, it's early. You know, these numbers tend to be high at this point, but still interesting to see that. And then when you add in Cornell West, President Biden gets 36%, Trump 35%, Kennedy 19%, and Cornell West 6%. So you just sort of think about that, and you think about some of the complexities of the RFK campaign, it would be very interesting to see, you know, four or five candidate race in 2024 and just imagine if voters could vote who their heart really led them to. And then their second and third choice could cause for a very interesting outcome. And some of the points are made, if, if not nearly maybe getting one of those other options to be the winner could affect the way that the winner is selected and who actually ends up finally being chosen as the next president of the United States. So very interesting to see this. I'll have a link to the survey for anybody who wants to dig into those numbers more. It's always fun to sort of explore those things, you know, this far out, a lot changes. But gentlemen, thank you for the overview of RCV. RCV. Again, we'll, we'll share a lot of links. People want to dive in more and learn more about it. Again, it is authorized here in the Commonwealth by, 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 uh, by the way we set things up. Local jurisdictions can make that decision if they want, following Arlington County's uh, lead there. So guys, we wrap up. Anything else you want to share? Any other news updates personally, politically, anything else you want to throw out there? Well, just to uh, yeah, to emphasize, today is election night eve in Virginia, and it's very important because the entire General Assembly is up for uh, up for a vote. Um, and uh, you know, which you know, depending on how it goes, there is the possibility of again single party rule if the Republicans win in the Senate and uh, hold the all day. they have all three, and we're you know, then shenanigans uh, will be unleashed. Uh, so here's here's praying for uh, continued divided government, uh, but uh, it's interesting to you know there are several um, you know third party and independent candidates uh, that are out there that are running you know, you know pretty well all things considered uh, in terms of the amount of money they've raised, uh, the the amount of uh, you know actually qualifying for the ballot because again as we said last week there that's extremely high bar. Um, and you know, getting getting the word out, and you know, basically challenging uh, the the status quo, because some of these are uh, like three, four candidate races. Uh, we've got uh, you know people in this, so it's a, it's a very contested. Uh, right? There's some people that are you know that you know they they thought they're in a safe seat, but they've got a third uh, uh, a third party challenger who is uh, you know, getting a lot of small small donors. All that the establishment parties have done to suppress you know, the voices, even under this you know, a, you know, oppressive legal uh, environment, there are still people out there fighting to get their word out, fighting to give you know, the people of the Commonwealth another chance. So I, was, I would encourage everybody who's listening to this, uh, check out all of the third party and independent candidates uh, and see how well they've done uh, and see how well they you know, they do against the establishment candidates, and especially if any of them can force, uh, you know, a plurality winner instead of a majority, which I think is, you know, that's uh, you know, excellent because, again, that shows you that the, the majority of the people in that district don't want whoever they've, whoever yeah. wins, quote-unquote. Um, so that's good information. So everybody check that out and, you know, just, you know, fingers crossed for divided government one way or the other. Um, and uh, we'll see, we'll, we'll talk about it next week uh, when uh, kind of a, Retro happens tomorrow. You surely will. We surely will. So, absolutely, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Chris, anything you want to share on our way out? Uh, no, like Brian, I've kind of got my eyes on the election tomorrow. I'll be 
sitting in front of the TV watching everything roll in. Um, you know, I'm kind of keeping my eyes, if anybody's curious, really on uh, the Senate District 27 and 28, um, sort of quasi-competitive uh, districts. But we've got uh, two what I think are pretty decent independent candidates um, in Monica Gary and Elizabeth Melson. Um, so just kind of keeping an eye on how they perform. Uh, those are two almost Northern Virginia districts, sort of you know, central Northern Virginia. Um, so, yeah, just looking for the big day tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, I, I'm grateful to see independents running. You mentioned last podcast. There, there are several around around the state. Exciting to see. And even if I don't agree with each one of them on, on certain issues, I'd love to see them do really great um, you know, just to sort of break up the, the monotony and, and, and nonsense that we see in Richmond these days. So exciting to see you mentioned two great candidates there, Chris. Both those ladies have fought hard and exciting to see how things turn out for them on Election Day. So, gentlemen, thank you again for the overview of RCV. Good luck to everybody that's running, and thank you for your willingness to step up and serve our Commonwealth, even if I disagree with you. I thank you for your willingness to get out there and take the punches and serve. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. I don't envy you. Um, nonetheless, I, I hope a lot of you lose tomorrow. But that's neither here nor there. Gentlemen, have a great week. We'll come back for Election Day. Thanks for all that you shared, and uh, we'll continue We'll continue going. For those that are listening, thanks always for your listening. Thanks for being with us in this journey into classical liberalism, politics here in the Commonwealth. We're glad that you're with us. Please consider joining or supporting the CLPVA to help us fight for a better Virginia, including more candidates, open ballot access, and ranked choice voting. You can reach out to us. We'll share the, the ways to reach out and connect with us on social media and others in the show notes. And in the meanwhile, as we head to the polls to vote or as you mail in your ballot, here's to open markets, open minds, and free people. Thanks for joining us today and always. Cheers. <laughs>